Welcome once again to Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. Everything about Glasgow's West End. My name's Jim Byrne and the Pat in the title is Pat Byrne. And this is episode 52, I think. I'll need to check that, but I think it's episode 52. In this episode, I will be chatting to David Forbes. Now, David Forbes is an A-list electronic dance music producer and a very busy DJ. And he's been around for at least two decades at the very top of his profession, releasing tracks on some of the biggest labels and most respected labels in the dance music industry. David is uh, renowned as a producer and he's also one of Scotland's most prolific international DJs. He's appeared in Ibiza, is that how you say it, Ibiza? Holland, Brazil, Singapore, Austria and Germany, amongst many others. Now, I know David, or Davy as I knew him prior to this interview, uh, because he's one of the regulars in, in the cafe I tend to sit and work in uh, with my laptop. He's one of the working on my laptop crew, and I think most of the time he's doing promotion for his for his very for his many dance music and DJ activities. So I've got to know him over the last few years, and until recently I didn't really know. Uh, just how successful this man is. You know, you, you meet folk and you chat away and you get to know them and you find that they're, they're nice folk uh, but you don't know that they're, uh, they're big in their, their music world. So when I found out that, uh, that David is so incredibly successful, I thought this is a man I need to go and interview, which is what this interview's about. So I'll not chat much longer. We'll get there as quick as possible because it's quite a quite a long interview I decided not to split it up this time because it fairly kind of rattles along and uh, I certainly found what he had to say very interesting so it forms a kind of story which holds together anyway if you're enjoying the podcast as I said many times please subscribe please tell a pal please give us a nice review and if you've got any questions we'd really like to hear from you Okay, enough from from me right now. Let's go and speak to David. So my name's David Forbes and I'm a Glasgow-based DJ and producer, mainly um, writing um, dance music. Right, okay, okay. (laughs) Short and sweet. Yeah. Okay, and I, I knew, I got to know you, Dave, but is it David? Uh, do you know what? Whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whatever I think I'm used to calling you Davy in, yeah. in the cafe. That Davy's fine. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I got to know you because you you would come into offshore where I sit and do you know work yeah. uh, on the web design and stuff. Uh, and I don't know when we actually kind of said hello to each other, but probably a year or two ago. Yeah, I think it was a couple of years. And uh, gym, yeah. discovered that you were in the music business. Yes. Which I'm um, to a certain extent in myself, so we can, I kind of got to know know you through that. The idea of the podcast is to learn a bit about you and your kind of creative process uh-huh. and how that how you ended up, who you are, yeah. and where you are. Okay. You know, so if you could take me back to your earliest Yeah, moments. I mean, uh, let's let's go way, way back, yeah. Um, do you know, probably my earliest memory of electronic music was mm. I stayed in the housing scheme in the 70s. I was brought up in the housing scheme 
in the seventies, just just for a, a brief time, in Postle Park, All right. Street, and I remember hearing Kraftwerk model when I must have been about four years old and that's my earliest memory of electronic music and and it's 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 always stuck with me what year was that? do you know that must have been that must have been 78 right I'm think, I don't know, would that have been, would, yeah. that, would that have been round about the... I have no you know, idea, I've never ever... memory in the world, so I don't yeah. know, but, uh-huh. but if that's the 1970s, that's pretty remarkable, actually. You know, and it's something that's really, honestly, yeah. it's really, really stuck with me. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I don't know what it was, I think I actually might have seen it on TV. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was a, if it was on a programme or it was on a... I don't know if music videos were about then, I, yeah. I don't know, but I always remember, and, I, you know, I, I don't know if the listeners may um, correct me but I, I always remember a castle and I always remember a kind of laboratory within that right, castle okay, okay. connected with that particular track right, guys in white yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, 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 that sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it was definitely that sort of vibe. Yeah, that's so, interesting. I mean, know. obviously, I'm a bit older than you. You're a youngster, mm. <laughs> but, but I do remember Kraftwerk. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't realise it was in the seventies. Actually, it must have been though. Obviously, uh, yeah, because I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I stayed, I stayed in in Portland until I was about five or six. I maybe I remember having my fifth birthday there. Right. So I think we moved away. After that, you know, so it would have been either four, four or five. Right, okay. I'd have been, you know, so it'd have been that's quite you know, young. 70, 78 or 79. That's quite young to kind of have an understanding of music or even that, that music's a thing. You know what I mean? It's I, like, do you know, it's, it's quite yeah. bizarre that, you know, you even... Because even I, I remember when I was a very young kid, well, I don't remember, that's a lie, I don't remember anything, but I, I think I remember being confused by what music was or you know, no understanding of it. You know, you know, the stuff that goes out the radio. Yeah, yeah. And the thing you see on top of the pops. It's kind of a weird thing you don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, totally. But that was probably normal. You were probably abnormal. Do <laughs> 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 you understand it? Good to know, of course. No, I just, I just remember the riff. Right. Really, really, you know, resonate, really yeah. sticking in my... I tell you, that is interesting because if electronic music was your first sort of uh, taste of pop music uh-huh. that must then have a huge impact on yeah, I've never really ever honestly yeah. Jim I've never ever thought about it like yeah. that I've never I just remember yeah. that being yeah. you know it's a strange one even going before that I was I was born in Singapore alright oh, okay my dad was in the army right okay I don't remember anything from Singapore right I remember my I, I know it sounds out there but my first memory is walking through my granny's door and seeing all these cars laid oh, out right. in a table. That's my right, first right. memory. Right. And that was, that was the day right. that we came back right. to the yeah. UK from right. my dad being posted in Singapore. Right, right. So that would be a big, you know, a big event. I you know, so, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. it's, it's bizarre that I do remember, you know, whereas I couldn't actually tell you maybe yeah. something that happened three, four weeks ago, but I, there's yeah. a couple of points in my, my yeah. life that, yeah. you know, that... that, that but I always, always think people that say that they remember when they were in their pram and all that, they're just lying. No, no, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, nothing like that. Goo, goo, goo. Oh, I remember this guy was chatting about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I, so, so I suppose, yeah, the craft thing, right. you know, was 
my my first kind of memory of, right. of, of electronic music. And did you think? Did you do you think at that age? I mean, that's that's pretty pretty young. Do you think you knew what that was? You know, you no. you knew that that was music, and you yeah. knew that, that was electronic music, and you yeah. knew that that was different from this other kind of music. You know? Yeah, I mean. No, just no. I just, I mean, I probably didn't pay any attention other than oh, kind of, right, kind of, right. it, gra- it grabbed my attention for maybe that brief couple right, of minutes that, right. the, that that it was on. Okay, you know, but so when you were, I mean, a lot of young kids when they're like, uh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, they love music. You know, it's, yeah. it's something that becomes part of your life. Yeah, and and yeah. there's a. And all your pals are listening to the same stuff and all that. Yeah. Was was that for you? Was there like a? Did you have pals that were all into a particular thing when you were like a? No, I remember. Yeah. I remember. No, 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 not particular. But I mean, maybe. Wait, I rem- I remember. Seven, eight, maybe no, maybe six, seven. That I remember. Mm. My mum. Used to move the couches out the road. Right. And me and her used to dance to Michael Jackson. Oh right, okay. You know, okay. so right. I, I was I was a huge fan of Michael Jackson. Right. You know, okay. when, when it, growing up. Yeah. You know, I remember these wee points. You know, um, in my life. You know, I remember that. That was me and my mum just doing our dance moves in the the right. living room. You right. know, to Michael Jackson, and I absolutely adored my auntie. Was a huge fan of Michael Jackson. Right. She, she she had all the all the albums and that maybe maybe carried over to my mum and stuff like that. You know, King of was, Pop, of course. Yeah, and she was a huge Motown fan. You know, yeah. so that was I wouldn't say growing up I always heard. I'm not gonna go that cliche. Oh, I, heard, I always heard my mum playing yeah. this this style of music, and that style of music in the background because I didn't. Yeah. You know, there was just certain points. Oh, my mum would, you know, at that point my mum we were on. Um, my dad wasn't living with us at that particular point you know mum and dad were separated for a short period of time you know so I remember just me and my mum you know I had my brother and my wee sister at the time which were far younger than me but I remember you know just getting into some da- I, was, I was always into music I was into yeah. dancing and stuff right, like that right. you know and, and as, as time went on the, the 80s started kicking off you know right. and this kind of full different sound so there's one thing listening to music in all kids you know teenagers they, they, they love their pop stars and all that when did it become something that you just you didn't just listen to when when did you think or you know what happened you know that meant you started on a route that took you to be somebody who produces music what, at what age did that thing happen maybe about 18 Right, okay. But prior to that, I was into break dancing, like right. we spoke about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I was into break dancing because I liked right. the music. When I was right. in high school, right, okay. I was good at art. Right, okay. But one of my art teachers had a band, so right. he took me to his house. Ah, right. I stayed in a place called um, Colston, um, just at the, the the beginning of Bishop Briggs. We'd move, right. you know, f- from Sight Hall to to Colston, and my art teacher lived in some high flats. He's quite a young guy, you know, right. and he had a band and he showed me his studio. Ah, right, okay. So that's the first time right. I'd oh, seen a studio. studio. Right, okay. You know, that when I was about... That impact. I did, <laughs> it, it did, you know, right. because we were going on a Saturday morning live show. Right, okay. To talk about art. Ah, right, okay. You know, because I, I was pretty good at that, that yeah, point. Yeah. Um, at art, and he took, we went on a Saturday morning kids show. I think the video's still kicking about there somewhere. And he showed me his studio, all his keyboards right. and stuff like that. Right. But even then, it didn't quite... It, dawn on me that I wanted to do that because right. I, I, I look, looking back I didn't right you know then after that 
left school, joined the army. Right. Yeah, I was into music. I heard a, a, a prodigy tape from 1991. I went, oh, that's... Because you listen to the kind of early 90s voodoo, a guy called Gerald, Inner City. Now, the late, sorry, the late 80s, 87, 88, 89, right. all these kind of Chicago house tracks kind of coming over and Adamski and, you know, Seal and stuff like that. I'm going from that kind of more kind of commercial stuff to hearing the prodigy. Right. To my mate having a set of decks when I was 16. Right. Okay. And I had a shot at the decks and I was giving it. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is, this is what I want to do. Right. To the point where I had to get out of the army. And I was oh, doing right. extremely well in the army. Right, you know, okay. I was a junior junior sergeant in the army. I was in commander, you know, 30, right. 40 guys and stuff right. like that. I could have been a good soldier, but I just get, I just get so you know I don't know you know so inspired by seeing these set of decks and I was yeah. like oh, you can mix two records yeah. this, is, this is amazing so that was in 1990 when I was in the yeah. army started buying records but it wasn't until and I started DJing so I was 17 I started DJing in the Mayfair which is now called the Garage right okay so I ended up DJing round about the city bumped into a guy called Trevor Riley who was DJing and working in 23rd Precinct. All He'd right. heard about me. Right. This young pop DJ in the city playing whatever, but there was all, there was still other guys doing the same sort of thing as me. Were you part of a, a kind of movement? Yeah, um, I suppose. Kind of... I suppose eventually you probably right. could say that, you yeah. know. You know, when I met Trevor, he asked me to go down and DJ at a place called Bobby Jones in there. Right. And he had an Insonic 16 plus keyboard which was a sequencer, it was a sampler, right. done the full lot. Right. And from that moment on, I love DJing. But it says, that's what I want to do. All right, right. That's what I want to do. How did you manage, I mean, this thing about music, music's quite a kind of, I think it's a difficult thing to understand music at a young age, you don't mm -hmm. know what it is. You're yeah, like, oh, yeah, 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 true. <laughs> cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you make the connection between, I mean, a lot of people love music, yeah. they love records, yeah. you know, and they love the culture of it. Uh -huh. But how is that, you know, at that point, I'm assuming you're not a musician at that point. No, right? I, I was, I was, my dad bought me keyboards right. through my teens, right. and so I used to play keyboards. wee piano. Right. Okay, so, you know, so you had that I had keyboards, right. but okay. I wasn't, I wasn't, right. music in school, I was never right. interested in music in school, right. now, like, as in music class, yeah, yeah. playing the recorder and, you know, the triangle and everything else, it didn't interest me whatsoever, right. it was just one of those subjects that you had to do. Yeah. You know, it never interested me at all. Yeah. You no, know, I didn't want to take it but further. But did you make the connection between the records that you were spinning and that keyboard? That's exactly that's exactly it, because in order to get the sounds into the keyboard, we were sampling the records. Right, right. So, so if the sampling is the thing, or one of the things the significant the, the, Yeah, that, that, that really captured right. my imagination. Right, I was just yeah. giving it what, what you... You know, again, you can... I've just came from DJing, mixing two records, yeah, yeah. to now I can actually record that into a keyboard yeah. and create a track. Right, right. You know, that just kept, that just blew my mind. Tell me a bit more about that because, I mean, I'm coming from a, as you know, completely different genre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm playing a guitar, yeah. acoustic strings yeah. on it, or yeah. an electric or whatever comes through yeah. an amp, make yeah. a racket. Whereas you're coming from a, I suppose, this idea of sampling and I assume beats. Yes. And, uh, and the notion of creating a new thing from something that either already exists out there. or 
that you're changing. Mm-hmm. You know, how at what point do you get your head around what that is all about? You know, how do you get from, as I say, spinning the records, playing a wee bit of keyboard, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to this notion that you could produce a record? Yeah, that's like the one that you put on that. Keep that. You know, the, yeah, you're doing yourself. You know, the disco or whatever. You know, how did you get from that? How do you get a leap? How do you understand it? I don't know. Just felt natural, Jim. Right. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't feel daunted by it. Yeah, I yeah. didn't feel. Um, scared by it I didn't feel this is something that I can't do it right. just felt like a natural so who, who who introduced you to the idea of beats how did you get that Can I... I, I think you know I think once Trevor showed me the keyboard and what, what its capabilities right, he was sort of showed you he showed this, me this what, is what you've got this is, this is this what is we've got yeah, yeah right. so what we can do is record that um, that piano hook right, and okay. loop it right so that's one part of the, the block. Right. Then we can record, we can sample a kick drum right, from okay. a track right. and put that in. Okay. You know, sample a hi-hat, right. you know, okay. and so on and so forth. So I suppose one of the things I'm, I'm making an assumption here, which is completely a wrong assumption, which is that these days you download beats off the internet. Yeah. Back then. No, no you had <laughs> you to. Didn't do that. You didn't do that. There wasn't even things as yeah. nowadays. Or, and it, when the CDs were still prevalent, yeah, you know, right. you could buy you samples, buy CD sample CDs with all that. Yeah. Our, our sample CDs back then was other people's records. Yeah, yeah. And if you were to ask me where they got that from, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. Okay, looking back now, 909s, 808s, yeah, yeah. I didn't know you, what a 909 and an 808 was, you know, yeah. I didn't know at that particular point. I just thought, steal that kick, steal that hi-hat, you know. Right. We were pretty much doing what the hip-hop guys were doing. Right, okay. You know, apart they they were using nine oh nine, but it, and a few years later, you get you get to know where the kick drum is, what is from, what particular piece of equipment yeah. it comes from. Okay, you know. So what was the like the first track? I mean, you maybe not remember this, but what was the first track you were working on that somebody says to you, "Yeah, you've got something there, Dave." The first track. <laughs> I kid you not, Jim. See the first track we wrote, right. we released. Right, all right. <laughs> we get a deal. The very that that track that I'm talking about. Right, okay. That track, when I went down to Trevor's so house... ironically, you were the child prodigy. Well, no, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. You know, right. it's just that, you know, there was there was lots... There wasn't really that many people doing that sort of music right. in Scotland at that point. Okay, I, I wouldn't imagine so. Yeah. What, what year are we talking about? 1991. Right, OK. And what's the, what's the sort of prevalent scene music-wise? It was just, just going from kind of Shannon Tracy, big kind of... You know, I would say New Order, Inner City, ah, right, okay. moving more into right. a kind of what was called techno back then. Right, okay. You know, it was just kind of keeping into your more yeah, commercial you clubs. At the front of that, you were, were you somebody who seen something coming or you were interested in the No, thing? I just kind of, I, I think I maybe, I, I, no, I think I just get in at the right time. Right, okay. You know, I just, I, I get in when all this music was new, XL recordings, right. r recordings from, right. you know, Europe and stuff like that. Right. You know, some of the Dutch guys. You know, so I kind of get in round about, you had guys like Enjoy that were kicking about, right. you know, kind of guys from down south, you know, but they were starting to kind of infiltrate infiltrate the more kind of commercial. Okay, so you said that you, you wrote, the first track you wrote. Yeah, the first track we done, yeah. yeah. You released it, so what did release mean at that point? So, it, I mean, we, we, so it was actually, so again, going back, I, I DJed in Bobby Jones with Trevor, another guy, Neil Skinner uh-huh. and we're still we're doing a show, show tomorrow you know right. we're still in contact okay. with each other you know okay. after you know 25 whatever quarter of a century 
and then um, we released we just started a club called Hangar 13 right. and we were the three residents in there okay. so it just kind of kicked off huge big club that was in the 90s you know you had Hangar 13 in the metro down the west coast massive yeah. pilgrims buses cars everything <laughs> down to from Glasgow <laughs> and everywhere right. else yeah. down there so we were the three resident DJs Trevor was the main DJ he was he he was a guy that knew his stuff from a DJing point of view. We we were just kind of the, new, the young pups that, you know, a wee bit more cutting edge. But right. Trevor knew how at that point to construct a full night, you know, right, and okay. take them on a journey, you know. Okay. And he, he won't mind me saying that, you know, because I've got, you know, I've got um, loads of admiration and um, you know respect for for the guy, you know, for introducing me mm-hmm. to to what I'm actually doing now. And um, so we yeah we done the track we called it the Hangar EP done right. two tracks right. we took it to Billy Kilty who's still my publisher to this right, day okay. he owned 23rd Precinct alright oh, he signed just signed bands like Qtex and stuff like that that were really prevalent in the right. the, the, the early rave scene and we released that track so you say you took it I mean again I mean I speak to folk and uh, I always think well anybody that's got the confidence at that particular age mm-hmm. and knows where to go and is, is happy to go there you know, that's, that's pretty unusual. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, a lot of people are probably doing what you were doing at the time, but they're doing uh-huh. it in the bedroom. Yeah. And they're not thinking, I'm going to take this to somebody and I'm going to release it to the yeah. world. So, yeah. So what was it, what gave you that kind of gumption or that kind of confidence at that age to think, I'll just take it and I will release a record? I think, I think maybe Trevor had a big part to play in that. You know, we'd, we'd recorded it, recorded it onto that tape. Right, okay. You know, so I don't know if Trevor was working 23rd at that point, but we were aware of Billy. So I mean, it was the environment you were working in. The, the, the environment. So these could, people, that's what you just did. We were buying records on 23rd. Right. You know, so that was the only place we thought we could take it to. Because right, okay. we knew Billy ran Limbo Records at that right. particular But the shop wasn't that old at that particular point either. Yeah. You know, I, th- I, I don't know when 23rd opened, maybe... 89, 90 don't know Billy will tell me otherwise I'm speaking to him later on today anyway I'll maybe ask him that question you know but um, yeah we took it to Billy so I remember sitting there and Billy giving it yeah I, I, I like this we're going to release this in core records right. I'm just giving it just kind of again it just kind of right. blew my mind you know right. and, and and from that point on that, that's all I wanted to do so do you think that was normal you think I, I thought yeah. I, mean, I make something I, somebody puts it yeah I, 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 prob- I probably did think it was normal <laughs> I probably I mean, you know I didn't think I, I, had, everybody. I hadn't got to that struggle bit yet right. you know as you're trying to get tracks signed yeah, yeah. you know but and my, 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 my early career Jim you know mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think I was lucky right well Okay, you know, it must be something I, I, you know, other than just luck. I, I suppose. I, so we went went from there, then, so that I must have been, I must have been, that must have been 18. Must have been 18, I think. Maybe just pushing 19. I think it was about 18. No, I was. I was 18. And um, we'd done a couple other tracks. Mm. Oh, did we do a couple of other tracks? Yeah, we done one Evolution Records, but then I bought my own equipment, so I moved. I had an Atari. I had a an Atari ten forty ST. I had a dodgy effects unit that only worked out the one side that I bought from Tommy Gorman, who was a sound guy in Hangar Thirteen. Right. Okay. He now does concerts all around the world. Right. And uh, I saved up. 
with the money from my 21st birthday and bought a, an Akai S950, which effectively done... Is that a sampler? Yeah, it's a sampler. So the the, the, the Atari had Cubase on it, which I'm still running just now. All right, okay. And I had the sampler, so the sampler, obviously, sample stuff, right. the Atari done the done the sequencing. Right, okay. You know, it had okay. the one effects yeah. unit. And I was staying in the high flats in Sight Hall at that point. Right. And I had an eight-channel mixing desk, and I think the sample sampler only had, like, two seconds of sample memory, so I could only get a hi-hat. A crash? No, I didn't have it. I didn't. There was no crashes in my early stuff. Right. So I had a hi hat, a snare, a kick drum, a little kind of stab, and maybe one other sound. So I only had enough for five right. instruments, okay. which you would call it, including the beats. Right. Maybe six. I think maybe six, six or seven. See, let's just go. So I can't remember. Well, no. Eight max because I only had enough channels in the mixing desk. Right. I used every channel. Right. Okay. And from that, I signed a track to a Dutch label. Right. Just because the guy that was releasing stuff in Scotland, a guy called Scott Brown, uh -huh. done a track on a Dutch label. Right. And I went, if he can do that, I'm releasing stuff in his label. Maybe right. I can do that. That's pretty good, aye. It's pretty... You know, so then they signed one of my tracks. Pretty forward, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I was really driven. You know, I yeah, speak yeah. to friends that yeah. knew me back then. I was getting... It was, was I... You know, because I, I don't think I was that driven. Right. And they were just giving it me... If you were, if, you know, if if you were, if you weren't driven, you, you know, show me another person that was as driven <laughs> as you were back then, you know. But yeah. you don't think it that you just think it like you say you just think it's natural, Jim. Yeah. You know, so it was just. Well, I think I was it, just chasing you know, everything, you know. I mean, definitely, you would contrast for me. I mean, when I was that age, what age would you be at that point? Yeah. I'd have been well. I mean, I mean, I was writing music up until then. So I mean, I was as I've been. 21 at that right, point okay. you know but I've been releasing stuff right. prior to that yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when from I was 21 I would be in bands you know I'm yeah, sure. yeah you know but prior yeah. to that I was I was doing stuff yeah. on Scott's label yeah. you know so well, it's interesting you're talking about the uh, getting something out quite quickly because I don't know I was watching the uh, what's her name uh, singer uh, oh god I wish I had a body memory uh, <laughs> name, name, name some DJs working in the kind of pop field, uh, English guy, quiff of a haircut, worked with the woman that killed herself, what's her name? Um, Paul Oltenfold? No, 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 it's kind of more kind of, I suppose more in a kind of traditional, working more in the kind of traditional world of pop music rather than, than dance music. Mm -hmm. uh, God, I had his name in my head a minute ago. Anyway, I'll come back to it, but, but it was, I was watching this documentary and it was about that woman uh, rehab, what's her name? Uh, uh, singer. Oh, my memory's probably just as bad as yours, Jim. <laughs> Everybody that's listening to this will know who I'm talking about. Right, okay. <laughs> we can't even find her name. <laughs> 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 anyway, so it's one of the things about it was this guy's this DJ, DJ guy's, uh, it was a producer, uh, no, a producer, the guy that owned the record label was saying, I, uh, so and so. He knows how to construct a track because he's a DJ. Uh -huh. Right, okay, right. So okay. he says he knows how, and the reason he, he knows what works and doesn't work is because he's sitting there, he's at those tracks and he's got people in front of him yeah. the whole night. Yeah. And he knows what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And he's bringing that to the to the production show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amy Winehouse. Right, right okay. So oh, Mark Ronson? Mark Ronson. So right, Mark yeah. Ronson's, he was talking about Mark Ronson. Yeah. He said, well, Mark Ronson can do this record with Amy Winehouse, which yeah. is essentially a kind of a, a live band yeah. in a room. Uh, and her singing these 
in some sense, uh, fairly traditional constructed songs. Yeah. But he's got that DJ background. Yeah. So he knows what works. Yeah. Uh, at any point in, the, in that song. Yeah. Where do you need to be? Yeah. At what point are the people going to get bored? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what a DJ brings. Yeah, I think you know, so. Yeah, uh, I think that's like why. Like yourself, you know, if you're used to doing the decks. Yeah. And you got a crowd full of folk. If the, if the thing goes down, you know, if the if the energy goes down. Yeah, I mean, but again, that's probably been happening since the dawn of time. When yeah. you think about yeah. it, you know, from you know the disco it was yeah, that's prevalent true. in the that's disco true. era. You know, that's where true. you had. Larry the Lavelle and all the rest of it, yeah. you know, you know, doing all these kind of edits and re-edits, going up into the early nineties with David Morales and yeah. you know Roger Sanchez, all the doing big remixes for American artists like Mariah and yeah, you know, I was just Madonna thinking that we've been doing the DJ and, and been on the decks for yeah. a while. When it came to you putting that track out, you're probably going to know that whether it works or not. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, because yeah. you're so used to the that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, hearing that track there, that would work in the club, mm-hmm. or it wouldn't work in the club. Yeah. <laughs> but you'd know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah. back then, but there's a longer process, especially in, in, in the early part of my career, you know, from from the, the writing the track to actually getting it released, right. to getting it on vinyl, getting a dub plate made, All right. you know, or a test pressing, whereas nowadays I can finish a track here on a Friday afternoon in the studio and play it out that night. Right, okay. You know, whereas okay. back then... You, you didn't you kind of had a rough idea mm. that it was going to work you know yeah. but you didn't particularly know didn't have a kind of white label that you could yeah that you could it. just bang out right away right. and then go into the studio the next day and right. tweak it right okay. if I, looking back if there's one thing I could have changed I'd have made my tracks shorter right. some of my tracks were just too long especially when I was playing it out live right. even with, with that machine and keyboards you know, when I was going and doing live gigs, because I, I went from DJing to doing live gigs with the, this wee band Active Force that we done. Right, okay. And I, I was speaking to Neil a few months ago, and I said, we should have made the track shorter, done radio yeah, edits, but yeah. I wasn't really even aware of this radio Any, edit thing. You know, anybody who's ever produced any track that they've released will look back at it and think, I could have edited that much better. Yeah. You know, that's just nice. Nah, just yeah. But even, nature, having you know? the, but even having the, the capability yeah. to edit a track, you would have to write it that way. Yeah, yeah. Rather than finish the extended mix, chop it up like we do nowadays and make yeah. a radio edit. Right. You would have to write a three-minute track back then because right. you didn't have that capability. Yeah, right, okay. Couldn't edit you know, it the same way. To splice way. a damp yeah. machine. Yeah. And there'll be a screwdriver <laughs> in the damp machine and try to... You know, <laughs> you, know you didn't That's have right. that capability. Well, I didn't anyway yeah. in, 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 in my studio, you okay, know. So so you've you've produced a record or a, a, a mix. It's getting released on a record label. What's happening, you know, for, from your sort of career? It's a terrible word, career. But where are you going now in terms of your music and what's happening in your world at that point? <clears throat> I ended up flying so a lot. I ended up getting into my, a bubble right. where I was just prolific in the studio. Right. I was releasing track after track after track after track. And did this go through the same kind of record label? No, it? this was on a few. Well, right. Scott Brown had a record label called Evolution Records. Right. Stayed in Cumbernauld. Right. And I was working with some English labels. Right. This is when I was really, really and in. you do this full time? This is what you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing that full time. I right. came straight out of the army, started right. DJing, right. got a couple of gigs and boom. Same I think way. that confidence of signing that first track right. right away, I thought that was just the norm. Yeah, yeah. And I never really had 
any knockbacks. No struggling. <laughs> no. Maybe struggling financially now and again, but no struggle as in trying yeah. to get tracks signed. Right. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't like nowadays you can send a track to a label and it'll knock back and it'll knock back and you'll eventually get there. Right. But back then, you know, I'd send a track maybe because the music was decent. I don't, I don't know, or, or again, well, or, I, was, or I, was, I was lucky, you know, but when yeah. I sent the tracks away, you know, so I sent the tracks away to the Dutch label, they yeah. signed it, and I remember just giving it, you know, I'm start, I'm really starting to get there, I'm not just releasing stuff right. on um, local labels here, I'm releasing stuff right. on Dutch label called Dewolf Records, who are part of a body called Combined Forces, that put on raves, so off the back of that, right, right. I started... I started to so prior to that you get booked on your ability as a DJ but I, I tuned in really quickly see if I keep releasing music on these labels I was getting gigs in Holland 94 so you're going from a DJ to an artist pretty much basically. yeah pretty much you know I, I'm, I'm, yeah I'm kind of turning I'm still DJing but I'm still yeah. I, I know my main focus and I know for me I, I was switched on right away I knew that's what would make me money in the long term because all the yeah. DJs that they were more popular than me making more money than me in the Scottish circuit yeah. didn't tune in they were too busy partying well it's a bit like you know from my world the singer you know uh, who's singing somebody else's songs mm-hmm. they're a great singer and, yeah. they, and they get loads of gigs and then lose the cover versions yeah. but then they're not going to make a lot of money yeah. ultimately because yeah. you need to write a song yeah <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, you could put a record out a couple of versions, you don't yeah. make any money at exactly. all. Exactly. Yeah. If you write a song and it's a yeah. hit, yeah. and you're the writer, you're set. That's you. You'll get the cash. Yeah, you know? definitely. Uh, and just as an aside, because I'm doing this bloody songwriting course at the moment, which I'm trying to put together. There's a good uh, story. I don't know if I told you. It's the guy at the Commodores. What's his name? Biggest. Oh, uh, right. Um, big, oh, big, big, big artist in the world. Oh. Uh, uh, Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie, right? So Lionel Richie's in the Commodores. This is when they're big, you know, at the start of the, whenever it was, and uh, but they weren't making a lot of money. Yeah. But with these big hits. Yeah. So he's, he's on the telly and he's making, you know, he's mm-hmm. making a lot touring of money. And he's getting, he's getting a bit unhappy about this. <laughs> so he went into the the guys that were making that were recording or writing the, the the songs were in a separate room in the record label place, you know. That and he went in and he says, "How do you write a song?" Because he kind of realised one day that actually the money was all going to the writers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to them. They were the yeah. great singers and the great performers, yeah. but they weren't making any money. Mm-hmm. He went in and asked the guy sitting at the piano, how do you write a song? <laughs> 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 the guy just says to him, can you hum? That was the way he said. <laughs> really, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> he says, from that minute on, he just started writing songs. Right, okay. That's yeah, he realised that that's all it was. He just made a tune up, put yeah. words to it, and actually you've got a song, and that's how he became. You know, that's why he's still doing it now yeah. because he can make money. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's why I'm still doing it just yeah. now because I got into the studio side of things. Yeah, if somebody had asked me back then in, in my early twenties, you know, you need to choose one DJ and a production. I'd have choose chosen production yeah. all day long. You know, because that's where my that's where my I love DJing. Don't get me wrong, I love playing in front of crowds. I love touring. I don't love it as much as I used to tour and I, I do still enjoy it but my passion it's a creative process as well is, that's you what know, it is my so passion is that getting yeah. from point A to point B yeah yeah that's right that's right so as that's that's my my, my that, that's where my, my passion and my focus is 
So as you know, again going back to you know the, the Dutch label off the back of releasing a couple of tracks from that, that Dutch label, they booked me for parties in um, the Hague and right. you know so I was the, me guy from Sight Hill, yeah. you know staying in a, a high rise flat getting flown. Yeah, <laughs> with, with with his girlfriend to yeah. play at parties in Holland and the Hague yeah. and stuff like that yeah. in front of twenty thousand people. Right. You know, you're just getting it. This is incredible. You know, and and uh, associating or just hanging out with DJs that I look. I wouldn't say I looked up to. I didn't look up to him as a DJ because I'd never seen them DJ. Right. I looked up to their productions. Right. Okay. You know, and me getting into their studio and seeing what they're doing with their right. kick drums and seeing their creative process and what their what their techniques were for getting that particular kick drum sound or that particular right. hi hat sound okay. or, or okay. this sound and I'm getting all oh, that. So who would you from. who would you say were the guys that influenced you in terms of the sort of things you do? And Scott the Brown. Right. Back then, from a hardcore point, I'm right. still kind of in the hardcore realms at this point, right. you know, and the, the rave scene early to mid nineties, right. you know. So Scott Brown. Who's still doing the same type of music, hugely successful, right. was a huge, and and after that I couldn't even tell you that many people that influenced me, but he was a major influence in right. my music, in the nineties, huge influence. Okay. You know, if it wasn't for Scott, he's seen, he's he's clearly seen a wee bit of, a, you know, me guy's got a wee bit, of, and he's not that older than me, but he's clearly seen right. something and how well, again, quick I can get from point yeah, A to point B. He, did he encourage you? I mean, was he somebody that, or was he just somebody? You yeah, thought, I suppose he did yeah. encourage me. Yeah. I would go through there and pick up promos because right. he had his record labels. You know, I'd see him and he'd let me hear some new tracks. And I'd just be giving it. That's amazing. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't get home quick enough. <laughs> you know, to get into my studio yeah. to try and apply some of those techniques because yeah. maybe when people are in studios, they're listening. I'm, I'm watching more than I'm listening. Right. Okay. You know, because I know I can, I can go and create sounds. Right. I know I can go and do that. Yeah. But I, I want to. I'm trying to pick up production techniques. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to fill my wee rucksack, fill my, on my wee kind of. Because it's all about techniques for me. Right. You know, about getting how to apply that technique to get that sound or this technique right. to get that sound. It's like maybe from a guitar point of view. What sound? What, what amp is he using to do that? Yeah. And all oh, right, he's putting yeah, it through this amp that, to get to that amp that to do is, this. You that know, is a, that is a big thing for a lot of people. Actually, it's never been a big thing for me. Strangely enough, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I, I just, it's not the way my brain works, you know. I'm never really that interested in uh, pedals and, you know, what amp and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, if there's a sound that I like on a record, Yeah. I think, yeah, I wonder how they got that. That's about, yeah. as, that's about as far as it goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I don't I, tell I, you. I don't, drives me insane, that. Isn't fetish, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't get really excited about, yeah. you know, right, okay, I need to get that amp and I need to get yeah. that guitar and I need to use that pedal and I need uh-huh. to use that. But yeah. I, I don't, just, no, my brain doesn't work like that. Yeah, I suppose yeah. maybe because well, of dance music, sometimes yeah. a little bit more unconventional, you're maybe yeah. using... No, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are like that and, yeah. you know, and the sort of guitar and whatever. Yeah conventional rock band thing I mean, you look at YouTube and you can tell that that is it's yeah. a fetishisation of guitars and everything else related yeah, to it you know? yeah, yeah. but it's just I don't know why that that never hit me like that I just I don't know no idea yeah. I'm more interested in coming up with a chord progression I like yeah, yeah no, no, that's, <laughs> you know, no, totally, writing a yeah. lyric yeah. <laughs> getting a nice melody yeah. whatever uh-huh. uh, things working yeah. and to my brain you know rather yeah. than the actual that I need to get that sound because that's that genre of music. It sounds like that. Yeah. You know, that doesn't really I don't think like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think totally. that's a good song. Yeah. How can I make it as good as I can be? Yeah, without, totally. Without thinking what pedals do I need. Yeah. I never think like that. Uh-huh. I, mean, I think it needs 
He's the fiddle player. <laughs> That's the way I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the, the fiddle player needs to be playing through that arm. <laughs> or he needs to be phased in a particular way. Yeah. No, I never think about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, I suppose that. But the dance world, obviously, and the production world, which is your world, yeah. is it's all about sound, it's all about nuance, you know, and... Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, I think I've spoke to you in the past, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube concerned with all of that, you know, the million techniques yeah. know, for modern pop songs, yeah. modern dance songs, yeah. all these things. I'm fascinated looking at it, but I never look at it and think, I'll use it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I probably don't do that now. Yeah. You know, if I'm in the studio with somebody else, another producer, yeah. and he does something that I don't do, whether it be a shortcut or a right. reprocess I'll, I'll, I'll bank it right away he yeah. doesn't even need to show me how to do it yeah. you know I'll just bank it right away and I know right that's oh, I, right, oh, and I won't even tell him yeah. you know that way I'll just I'll just say that you know, I won't even say you know I'll just know subconsciously mm-hmm. that's in you know that's yeah. in that's in my my armoury now that's thanks for showing me that yeah absolutely yeah okay so so you, you it sounds to me as if you know you're, you've been plunged into the, something that you can make a living out of that's pretty Effing amazing, you know. Yeah. So, so how how do you get from from that to what you're doing now? I mean, how would you characterise what you're doing now? I mean, I, st- I still say that I'm, I, I'm 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 still DJing, you know. Um, I'm still producing and releasing music. I think obviously the world's changed so much, right. you know, since the inception of the internet, you know, and and things are a wee bit more kind of throwaway. I think maybe when I started out, you know. You made money from releasing tracks, right. you know, because there's still that physical copy. People bought it. People bought it. You know, yeah. it's still between fiver and nine quid a record. Right. You know, so you had a, a lot of that income. Not a lot of it, but a bit yeah. of it coming back okay. to you, and you were still gigging and DJing. Nowadays, you know, you've got loads of people want to be become yeah. DJs, but they don't yeah. want to learn the craft. Yeah, that'd be right. I suppose one uh, one interesting story is you know how come you're still doing it when in fact you started off when there was a fashion for something that you got the, you got the wave mm-hmm. is that wave just still as still as big enough to sustain a, a career in, in dance music or I suppose when I when the, the full hardcore scene finished I locked myself up that's probably 98 I locked myself just quickly just locked myself in my bedroom for two years and I mm-hmm. made a conscious decision and I said to myself throughout my whole life up until that point I'd done things and got to a really good standard and chucked it and moved on to something else and chucked it and moved on to something else and I made a conscious decision I've been doing this too long and invested far too much energy this is going to be the this is going to be the one thing that I'm going to see through you're going to do it for the rest of your life yeah I'm going I'm really going to make a go of this you know put a business plan together I had some equipment went to the Prince's Trust they gave me a five grand soft loan which enabled me to buy a big mixing desk that machine and a couple other synths you know so again invested more time and effort into doing that that's also impressive yeah you went away and got a loan that's pretty impressive yeah and and putting a business plan together (laughs) that was more impressive than anything else for me yeah yeah. that's amazing because I I, I was doing it and when I I went to the Prince's Trust to present you know they were hitting me with all sorts and I was boom, 
down because I was I was already doing it. Yeah. How can you how do you how are you make money? How, how you know they couldn't get their head around it. No, no. You know, but I had a logical answer because yeah, yeah. it was easy and natural for me. To, yeah. No, well, I just done this and I done that and I done this and 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 they were the, the five or six of them were just you know sitting there just giving it wow. Right. You know, yeah. you, and you could clearly see that. that I mean, I'm impressed. I, I, I'm always impressed by anybody that takes action, and can, particularly when they're young. Yeah. You know, and they've got the confidence to do that. Confidence yeah. to go and get that loan. Confidence to follow that business plan. And you know, uh-huh. confidence to think it's possible. Yeah. You know, I, I always think, oh my God, how the hell did they get that in their head that they could do that? Yeah, I so, yeah. I, I mean, it's just. I mean, I remember just a, a funny story. I remember my girlfriend. That, I'm still with her. Um, she had a she loved sunbeds back then, so right. she was under the sunbed and she had the music up. Right. And there was a big chap at the door. And I was going, oh, who's that? And there was three policemen at the door. Uh, we're, we're here to um, inquire about the noise. I had my studio in my living room at that point. Oh, right, okay. Writing hardcore music at number 11 uh, every day. Right, okay. This particular day, didn't have it on. <laughs> she had the hi-fi on. <laughs> so, the three right. um, police guys came into the living room and they've seen the, stu- they've seen the studio and they've seen all my records and stuff like that. And um, so they obviously had a, a noise complaint from Jack playing the hi-fi, which wasn't that loud. Right, okay. You know, and they've come in, they've come oh, what, what's what's all this? And I explained to them what I'd done and just pretty much yeah. what we're talking about just now. Yeah, yeah. And they were, they, I was, I was, a, I was, I was, a, I was a greatest wee guy in the whole of the housing scheme. Right. So I was, you know, t- t- they've clearly thought to themselves as well, you know, well, Three guys doing his stuff and he's DJing yeah, and he's, yeah. he's putting records out and you know this that and the next thing and I'm no a rogue like no. maybe half a dozen <laughs> other guys doors have went to that day probably yeah. were yeah yeah you know and, and I it was just you're looking more like an entrepreneur <laughs> I, it's this wee entrepreneur I suppose in a sense this wee guy from Sight Hall just trying to yeah. forge his way in the in the music industry and and you know even in Sight Hall I get I get um. I got um, really friendly with the, the the girls in the post office because right. I was up there every other day right, okay. receiving promos and sending yeah. demos away yeah. and you know so they were they were quite kind of yeah. you know yeah. um, how would you say it in, I don't know they were quite kind of taking you know because it was new I mean yeah. Yeah, people yeah. sending away dance music demos and stuff like that you know you know that doesn't it didn't really happen you yeah. know there wasn't that m- many people. Again, I, there probably was loads of people doing it, but yeah. Although I suppose the the uh, the word that, that I'm not using, that you're not using either, is class. People from a certain class don't tend to do these things. No, no <laughs> that's probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah because that's, it's just you know they don't have the, the resources most yes. of the time. They don't have mm-hmm. the opportunities most yeah. of the time. You know, right. and if you if you grow up in a, a housing scheme, you tend not to be the person that, that does that. Yeah, you know, because you don't think it's possible. That's mm. very true. Yeah, so that is very true. So, so is he more impressive? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just looked at what other people were doing. You know, in order to get that business plan together, mm. there was two other guys that got the same business plan. Right. I was kind of like, man, you're just kidding yourselves on. You just don't even... Yeah. You know, they were from a better background than me. Right, right. You know, but they probably didn't want it as much as I did, Jim. Right, right. I'm just... They're just those two guys. I'm sure there's other guys that probably did want it as much as yeah. me. But those two guys that are... I seen that got that business. I was like, "How did you do that?" I went to Prince's Trust. I went right, okay. Off I went, boom, straight down to the Prince's Trust. Yeah. What do I have to do in order to get a soft loan? This is what I'm doing. 
oh, right, you need to fold this in. And I went after yeah. months. It took me about six, seven months. But, yeah. you know, I kept on going and changing the business plan. Because academically, yeah. I wouldn't say I was the greatest, you know. So, you know, I eventually got there. I'm not saying I couldn't read or write or anything like that, you know. But <laughs> I'd never put a business plan together. Yeah. But maybe being in the army gave me that confidence right. to, 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 to start a mission and yeah. finish try and finish that mission try and get it over the line yeah, you know no, that right. mental strength uh-huh. no it's impressive as, uh, as I say particularly as you know if you're if you're in a housing scheme that is unbelievably impressive because they say you don't really necessarily get the it's not actually anything to do with the person or the individual it's not to do with that I'm not saying that it's just to do with your environment and yeah. uh, what you think's possible. Yeah, no, totally. You know, just because of what people talk about round about you and you know, yeah. what they think's possible. I think that yeah. comes down to, I, I, but I, th- I think see, see when I was growing up, my mum always told me, and again, again, it's we touched on it earlier, but my mum always told me, you're special, you're right. different. Right. You know, even when I was growing yeah. up, and I'm like, I, I, I know that I know it doesn't mean well, much, you, and it's a throwaway. You weren't an only child. No, right? I wasn't. No, I, I yeah. wasn't an only child. You know, but yeah. I'm sure she said that to us all. Right. Okay. You know, but it always stuck with me. Yeah. I know, even when I was doing things, no, I'm, 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 I'm the best at this. I yeah. want to be the best at this, or you know, I want to be the fastest guy running. Yeah. I want to be the best football player because my mum told me clearly. I was the best. I'm, I'm, I'm special. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you still special. are, baby. I've You're got, still special. I've got special powers. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, special, you know, that sort of, you can do it and you want to do sort of no, thing. No, it reminds me of something which is no really related, but uh, what was it? I used to think I could do magic, right, when I was a wee wee, but I just forgot. Mm-hmm. I just forgot the words. I just forgot the the, the spell. Right, okay. If I just could remember the spell, I could mm-hmm. do magic, but I could never remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want that to come across as, I'm like Jose Marino, I'm the special one around the people listening around like that, you know, but again... <laughs> It just, I suppose it's just silly wee words, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, when you're growing up, you know, I'm in the mix. Aye. You know, and I'm obviously, if no you're in special, a support, you know. a supportive environment, mm-hmm. it makes all the difference, yeah. you know. People are, are making you think that you've got the ability. To, yeah, I, like you were talking you know, about earlier yeah. on, you know, that teacher saying to you, well, that's amazing, you could be a writer. Yeah. Or, you know, right. or that, that yeah. sports teacher saying, well, oh, you're great at basketball or football, yeah. you could be a football player. That's right. I, I, I think I'm. Big believer in that, you know, if people encourage you, mm-hmm. the right people, you know, yeah. way, that you respect or whatever, say things yeah. good about you, that makes a big difference in mm-hmm. people's lives. Uh, I suppose, and, and, and digressing, you know, but just move it, move, move it, moving on, like you're yeah. saying, how do I get to here? But from that, you know, I started, I had quite a wee bit of success. And it was like starting all over again, mm-hmm. you know, in the early 2000s, we got a wee chart hit, we got another right. wee chart hit. Okay. Okay. You know, so we ended up getting three wee top 40s. Right. You know, and there was loads of money kicking about in the early 2000s. Right. Tons of money in the music industry from a dance right. point of view. In the 90s, it was underground. You know, and it was right. still, it, it never really went, I, I tell a lie, it was obviously it went commercial, but in the early, from 98 to about 2004, it got really, you know, there was loads right. of money, you know, record labels were throwing right. tons of money again. You know, uh, uh, dance music. You know, I mean, was that a, these record labels that you were signing up with? Were these big record labels? Were these the, the main people or the? Or the yeah, well, I signed a track to to a, a label called um, Sirius, yeah. who was owned by EMI. So they were all kind of little right, offshoots. Right. So, so they were able these, to distribute. These smaller labels get really successful, and these bigger right. labels invested lots of money. Right, okay. So that made the advances that these labels right. that were given out. 
you know, a lot more than your normal yeah. would it yeah. have been normally. Right. You know, so and the, the, the other stuff it was in a band called Public Domain who had a couple of chart hits, right. we top ten hat and right. you know, that was owned we signed that track to a label called Extravaganza who were owned by Sony. Right, okay. You know, so they were all kind of subsidiaries. Right. A huge major labels, you know, so that's that's where that's an interesting that's, 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 <laughs> that's where that's where a lot of the, the, the and again there were still physical copies. Yeah. There were still loads of money, loads of publishing advances, yeah, loads yeah. of advances for albums and records and stuff like that, whereas nowadays it's pretty much non existent. And when you're in the middle of that, I mean, who do you think you are and where you're going at that point? You, I mean, you know how some people think it's, they're a good looking person and they're going to be a pop star. Mm-hmm. Some people think they're, they're going to be a producer, some people yeah. think they're going to be a songwriter, whatever it is. Yeah. What were you thinking? What was. I just right. thought I just had a wee bit extra money, more money in my bank than right. I was used to having, but right. just still doing the same thing. You just wanted to do the thing you're doing. Yeah, I just wanted to do. I, I didn't at that particular point want to conquer the world. So you're I, writing tracks and you're producing tracks. Yeah, and yeah. DJing and touring with the band. I mean, right. again, getting to play the main stage at Reading and Leeds Festival. Right. Okay. With, yeah. with the band, you right. know we. When you say the band, what do you mean? Well, it was a public domain. Right. We, 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 we released an album, you right. know, it was just, I was right. part. What happened was James Alley, James um, Allen, Alley, can't even mind his name, and Mark Sherry, who I'm still working with now, right. wrote a track, right. which blew up. The guy that I was working with, they needed him to do the MC on it. Oh, right. One vocal line, right. because Chuck D from Public Enemy owned that and they couldn't get oh, it cleared right. oh, right. or it wasn't chopped deep it was Flavor Flav one of the two but they couldn't get it cleared and they were going on top of the box oh, right. and, and, and they needed the guy to do that right. you know right. there was no publishing because the the, the 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 track that they sampled was a, actually a New Order track oh, right. Right. you know it was called Operation Blade Right. Based in the place, London, it was called at that particular I, 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 I wasn't involved in that particular track but I get drafted in right. because me and Malaka were working in a studio together in Glasgow and they needed to get an album out quick. Right. You know, so sort of we came up with a deal with the record label. We write four tracks for the album. Right. James and that can write the other four. And, you know, we'll, we'll push we'll, we'll, we'll push the, the track out. But that, that opportunity led to gigs in Australia right. and, right. you know, Russia and Switzerland and going to all these other countries that I'd never, ever been to. You know, so again, that was just a, a next little kick up. Right. You know, for maybe just sticking to my guns, 1998, and giving it right, did I chuck it? Did I go up with my dad? Or did I just keep going? Kept going. Bumped into the one guy that takes you in another path. Yeah, yeah. And, you yeah, know, it's pretty amazing, you know. So basically you're, you're touring now with a band, is that... Yeah, well, I would say a band, I mean, we'll get keyboards, we're, we're yeah. hitting the keyboards and pressing yeah. play on a dat machine. Right. You right. know, and, and having the keyboards plugged into the, right. you know, the desk and coming up playing some live bits here and there. I was the up DJ and scratching and right. whatever else. Right. You know, so you know, no, we just kinda <laughs> seen it on the yeah. telly. Yeah, so <laughs> just kinda again I would just kinda put something together that we could that we could tour at that right. particular time. So <sighs> goodness me, that, that's uh, pretty mind blowing stuff I have to say. So when when was that? When was the kinda the the top of that curve, so to speak. That was about two thousand and two right. to about two thousand and f- two thousand no two thousand and one to about two thousand and four right. two thousand and five. Okay, kind of ran for about three or four years. Right. So it does, you know, where 
you know, but that wasn't our main focus. You yeah. know, that was just a, one of the wee projects that we were doing. We were doing right. loads of other wee projects. Right, right, okay. You know, we're setting up our own record labels again, and right. you know, you know, putting money into a business and signing tracks to Ministry of Sound for, you know, five figure sums. You know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and it's just I remember it's bizarre because I remember we opened up a bank account in the Clydesdale Bank in Argyll Street. And the bank manager was my dad's friend's wife. Right. So she okay. was right, Linda. Okay. Right. And we were putting tons. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm, I, I take that back, we were putting loads of money in. Then what was probably, just she was just to yeah. seeing. Yeah, yeah. You know, just from the music industry. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it was hundreds of thousands of pounds. I'm not saying that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it was, you know, it was thousands, 10, 15 here, 20 there, 50 there, you know. You know, there was, you know, I wouldn't say we had hundreds of thousands, we didn't, that, but it was funny seeing her face. Yeah. Because she's known me from a young age, you know, seeing her, like, David, and she was so proud of me, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, she was she was so proud that I was, you know, I was, she knew about the, the background. I must say we were poor, didn't we? Yeah, but no. just going back to that class thing and, you know, housing schemes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, it was good to see her seeing her happy when we were going to the bank every yeah, day yeah. and giving us a wee bit more special treatment because she knew us that's and good. probably good put money in at her bank. Money in a bank account, that's pretty good for your ego. <laughs> I remember signing a publishing deal, so I did at that point, and got into TSB with a Coots check. So I did... Right. I don't know, Coots Bank, it's a... I don't know. It's, it's had the Crown Crest and all that, right. and I, you know, and I remember... and and. <laughs> The woman behind the bank said, I mean, I must have only been about 23 or something like that. The woman behind the bank, she's going, oh, I don't know if we can take that. Let me get my manager done. You know, I'm in there with a tracky, let's get Pat on. <laughs> she's getting, you know, getting the third degree because I was putting some money in the, in the bank. Said, where did you get that from? Exactly. Where did you get that from? How, how, how did you get that? It's like, I wrote some music. Yeah. You can see it just didn't didn't quite compute well. Yeah, well, I mean, royalty checks and things like that are always a are always a lovely thing. I've yeah, had, had a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're always great. Yeah, they're always great. I think I think yeah. I think it's just you know I think I think it's just you know a, a kind of a producer once said to me you know success is just getting up every morning. And being able to do something that you love. Well, it is. That's that's absolutely true. Uh, and probably ninety five percent of the the population of the world are not able to do that. So you know, if you're able to do that, you're yeah. And I'd, you're I'd rather do something like that for yeah. less money. Yeah. That I love than for more yeah. money doing some a job that I hate. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. If I had to go and do yeah. a job that I that I hate, I'm not. You know what it's like working for yourself, Jim. Whether yeah. you're an artist, a writer, a musician. It's famine and feast. It is. Yeah, you know, you're chasing true. your tail all, all yeah. the time, especially in this today's market. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's not so much about um, yeah. the income from the music, it's yeah. more about the so income from the touring. If, if we can bring it up to date, I mean, there's a couple of things that are in my head. One is, what what is your business now? That's the one thing, what you're actually, yeah. you know, how you, how you surviving as a musician mm -hmm. in today's world, yeah. would have, I suppose in some sense. I mean, actually, strangely enough, I suppose the dance world is probably as big as ever, uh, in the sense that, you know, it's kind of blown up in America and all yeah. that as well. Yeah, yeah, So there's that side, and there's the other side, which is the creativity side, which mm -hmm. I'm always interested, personally, you yeah. know, I don't know if people that are listening would be interested, but I'm interested in people's creative processes. So, you know, I'm interested in how you create a track, 
you know, what you've got nothing in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, and at six o'clock you walk out the door and you think, oh, what a great day! That's a great time. Yeah. How did how did that happen? For I you? suppose I'm, I'm, I suppose over the years, you know, I've kind of honed into a, a sound and a scene called the trance scene, right? And trance music, you know, that I've been doing it since maybe two thousand and one. Right. So that I'm known as a trance producer. Right. Although I write house, techno, whatever else, you know, but I'm mainly known for a trance producer. So I'm mainly known for a particular sound right, you know okay. so I don't know it's, you know I, I just sometimes come in in the morning you know I'll get some kick drums and some percussion and some beats together then I'll maybe start working on a bass line you know and start right. getting the, the percussion the bottom end and the, the bass line and the, the, the sitting nice and tight then I'll, I'll you know I'll move on from there maybe play a nice melody some right. people like to sit and play a melody first and construct right, it right. Okay. round about that I tend to Sometimes I'll do that, but a lot of the time, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start from the basics, just drums and percussion, then getting a bass line up, then adding yeah. a melody at a, a, a later stage. And where where are the ideas coming from? I mean, where's the, where, where does the creativity come do you know, from? Sometimes I mean, I might be just listening on the radio sometimes, right. or listening to maybe another DJ set that I've heard, and I'm going, oh, I like right. that track. Right. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll maybe do something like that but with my own take on it sort of thing right Jim you know so it, seem, it seems to come trans music's that fractured there's that many different styles right. within the style of that particular music it's not yeah. trans music and it's that sound yeah, yeah. you know trans music ranges from 128 beats a minute to 140 beats per minute right okay. you know so I've got a broad kind of spectrum to play with so I have you know and it could be a bit, wee bit darker, but the, the sounds are a wee bit more sinister, or it could be a wee bit more euphoric, where the yeah. sounds are kind of really uplifting, with big kind of orchestral pads, or, you know, I might play some nice pads, and I might then play a little melody over the top of that, then I'll maybe go and construct everything round about it, right, right. you know, or I might get sent some vocal stems, right. you know, and I might build a track round some so vocal stems. Can, I mean, I don't know, because I don't do your job, but... Are you kind of inspired by the sounds that are in front of your ears, so to speak? Pretty <laughs> or, or, much, yeah. yeah. That's exactly. Because you just respond to it. Aye. It, I suppose it, that is it. That sounds, oh, I could take it in that direction. Aye. I quite like the sound of that. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, if I'm browsing through some bits yeah. of my equipment and right. I'm giving it, oh, right. it sounds amazing, and I play yeah. a wee riff, I'm giving yeah. it, wow, that sounds incredible. Yeah. I suppose, aye, that's a good way of looking at it. Because, again, I'm trying to do some stuff on songwriting, and uh, I was on a forum, I don't know if I told you this, I was on a forum... Uh, which was somebody else's songwriting course. I was just checking it out, you know, see, uh-huh. I, see what I can steal, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was on the floor uh, responding to some of the things that are in the course, and uh, I thought I better put, you know, there's no point in me moaning about everything, you know, and just yeah. saying that's a load of rubbish, you should do it this way. Uh-huh. I better put something up with my own, you know, put head above the parapet, yeah. sort of thing. So I put up some lyrics, and uh, then somebody said, oh, I like those lyrics, can we hear the song? So says, ah, you go and there's a demo of the song here, and I point it to them. You go and say, oh, that sounds great. And they come back and they say, uh, how do you write a song? I mean, they're on a course mm-hmm. called How Do You Write a Song, you know? <laughs> 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 oh, I should be asking you. <laughs> <laughs> so I started tightening into the wee box in the forum, and it was too small, it ran out of space. So I'll just go and write something. So I wrote something on Pat's website, which yeah. ended up as this big article. Uh-huh. What was the point of me saying this? I can't even remember. Uh, well, it was to do with the fact that they, they, one of the, they, they asked these two things, which was, uh, how do you write 
and what, how do you come up with subjects to write about or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing I wrote in response to that was, I don't write, I just don't write, I just don't think about anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never tried to write a song in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I pick up my guitar. Yeah, and you, off you go, and you know, something just comes out of it. Comes out of it, yeah. and I think, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I never write about any topic, because mm-hmm. my head's empty. I, I've never thought, I'll write about this, mm-hmm. or I'll write about that. So I don't really think at all. Yeah. I just... Like you're saying to a yeah. certain extent I respond to what happens in front of my ears mm-hmm. I know that's the wrong I think that's the best way yeah. isn't it? sometimes for me anyway that's the most yeah. natural way for, for and that to me is all about the subconscious mm-hmm. because your brain is all, it's, you know the sum total of all your experiences is in there somewhere and all your anger and all your love and all your emotion and it's those things that come out when you write something yeah definitely so although I don't think about anything and I don't think about any topic, each track, or in your case track, my case song probably, is about something specific. Mm-hmm. It ends up about something specific, because yeah. we do the crafting of it later. But So although I never think I will write a love song, yeah. you do write love songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're clearly are right. They are, yeah. they are love songs. Yes. Yeah. And then they're sort of a start, a middle and an end. And I would imagine it's the same thing with a track. Yeah, it is. You know, thinking, I'll write a track which is specifically aimed at this market. Uh-huh. You know, uh, you don't... Yeah, yeah. No, 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 you're... you're I mean, sometimes, again, because um, trans music's that fractured, you know, I'll maybe a- aim it at a particular group that right, are in, okay. into that particular sound, and that could be just changing a bass line, making a bass line sound different. Right, OK. You know... Because you've got that knowledge. That, that knowledge, yeah. yeah. And, right, OK, that's called side trance. What makes side trance? Right. That particular bass sound and ah, that right. kick, right? Okay. You know, and a little more kind of acidy type. That's quite fascinating. Sounds. Yeah, I would think that's, that's no, interesting. Whereas, you know, I could write an uplifting trance track again. Just come back and say, well, yeah. you know, uplifting trance is more kind of euphoric, big pads, and right. you know, just to make you feel good. You know, so I'm kind of within trance music. Just I, I, I am catering to different genres, but yeah. it's still all under the one umbrella. Well, you've now been doing it for how many years? I'm 44 now, right. you know, so I've been doing it full time since I've been 18. Right, okay. Somebody that's good at arithmetic can work that out. Yeah. I'll, I'll say 26. 26 years. Yeah. Yeah, so 26 years of listening to and constructing and choosing and knowing what the genres are and all that. Because in every single track that you you create <laughs> just yeah, to, all that experience yeah I <laughs> think like, going back to your question earlier how do I survive yeah make make um, doing what I what I do what I do at the moment a lot of DJs that want to get into this scene I've not got the time to sit and learn the craft right so they'd rather pay someone else to write that track for them Right, okay. Then they'll stick their name on that particular track. It's called ghostwriting. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I want to stay with. I want to stay. I, I want to keep on producing music of my own, you know, but I want to stay. And I think if somebody like Night was just to sell Night Trainers, I think they'd find it a little more, maybe a crap analogy, but, you know, Nike as a brand have delved into sponsorship deals, football yeah, yeah. boots, yeah, yeah. you know, clothing, blah, blah, blah. You know, and for me, 
as an artist to stay or a producer or whatever you want to call it to stay not relevant but just to stay working within the music industry you know I have to be able to do other things and just over the years I've written house music I've written techno I've written this that and the next thing and and I I do have clients that come in and I'll write some disco tracks some re-edits of disco tracks jack and house tracks I'll write techno I do techno for a guy that's very popular I do progressive house another genre that's very popular that I've been working with a select few guys Mm -hmm. you know and that's where a lot of my income comes from in some months if I'm not DJing so if I've only got one gig one particular one. So you're using your twenty-six my years of uh, learning your craft. Pretty uh, much, you know. <laughs> you know, sitting in the studio when I could yeah. have been out, yeah, yeah. when I had enough money just to piss about for, for a year or two yeah. and yeah. do nothing. Yeah. But I cho- chose in those beautiful summer evenings yeah. not to go out and play golf with my mates, right. not to go and do this. I'd rather sit in the studio. Which you've got your own studio. Yeah. Which we're sitting in as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> which again, most. I don't know most because that's probably that's probably not true. But it's certainly a lot of traditional DJs. They don't need a studio, you know. No, they can get a laptop and a set of headphones. Exactly, exactly. I've just always, I've always had my own studio. I've always had a place of work to go to. Yeah. Because I went up watching Jeremy Kyle. Yeah. And eating biscuits all day, you know, and I, I just like to get up in the morning, go to the studio. I've trained my brain. Right. When I come through that door in the studio. I'm here to work. Yeah. I'm not here to sound design. Day after day after day. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I will sound design, but I'm in here to provide yeah. for my family. Yeah. You know, at the same time as do something that I really enjoy and I'm really passionate yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whereas a lot of people come into a studio and maybe just think, oh, I'm, a I'm just going to tinker about here and tire <laughs> kick for a couple of hours, you know? Yeah, yeah that's true. You know, so I've, I've, I, that's always motivated me yeah. if, I, if I get up and I go to the studio. No, I'll tell you, David, I'm going to call you David now, I think it's David, <laughs> instead of David. David's fine, <laughs> David's fine, Jim. I'm all confused. <laughs> I think it's because I need to call you your, uh, your uh, artist name. No, which I is, think... Which is, I, which is on your computer. Yeah, I, I'm quite, honestly, I'm quite happy with David, Jim. I'm quite happy with David. No, so, David, right. Yeah. I'm impressed. I think it's amazing what you've done, you know. Thanks. I'm impressed by your, your bloody go-ahead attitude as well and your, and your abilities, obviously. You know, you don't do this unless you're talented. And you don't survive unless you've got some kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And probably quite a lot of competitive spirit in there as I well. Think, you know? I think I've got more competitive spirit than entrepreneurial. Right. I, 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 I think I could, I could be, I could be a wee bit more kind of hard-nosed business right at times you know this is what this is the way it is and sometimes i'm too accommodating i'm too nice and i don't think yeah. that's a bad thing but i think in order to make loads of money i mean like serious amounts of money yeah, i think yeah. you have to have that i think you're probably right to be honest with you you know i think the folk that i mean there's plenty of folk that have got talent and they are hard-nosed you know and will do anything mm-hmm they're no nice people. No, and there's plenty of folk <laughs> out there that's no really got that much talent yeah. at all, but yeah. hard nosed. Yeah, that's And true. got that entre- entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. You know, I'm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I need to st- step over you, 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 and you. Yeah. But I'll, I'll get there, and that's how, you know, they become financially successful. Yeah, I think. Right. I'm not saying that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I know some people like that. Uh, everybody does. Everybody does. Uh, and I always console myself because I see myself in that category. 
I kind of console myself with, and I think, well, these folk are going to come up, come up one of these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to stand in somebody too hard. Yeah. And uh, they'll find out what happens when you do that. Yeah. But good, hey, yeah. good luck to them. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm down with that. You know, yeah, just right. you know, just a wee point that I thought I'd throw in there. You know, it's yeah. just... You know, that, that bit of, sometimes I wish I had a wee bit more cutting edge, you know, whereas I'm, I've got too much of a conscience sometimes. You know? Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how you would... How, how you would, you would but, I mean, I, I don't think you need to do that. I mean, I think you're already uh, the exception to the rule, which is that you're somebody who's doing what you, what you enjoy, yeah. making a living out of yeah. And you're no that hard-nosed bad person that needs aye, it. You know? aye, I'd like to think you know, so, so anyway, Jim. I think you've hit the sweet spot. Uh, I'd like to think so. So we'll probably wind up with that. Okay, it's been <laughs> thanks for uh, uh, it's thanks been for really cool. Huh? It's been cool. No, I've, en- I've enjoyed listening to it. Uh, the thing I need to, which I'm going to say on this because I need to do it, I always forget to take a photograph, and I need a photograph for the. <laughs> yeah, let's get it done. <laughs> to put it on the computer when I put up your your yeah. podcast. So when I hit this, yeah, we see. Cheerio. Thanks for listening. Thanks, David. What an inspirational story. Uh, that was fantastic. Thanks very much. This ends another episode of Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you all the next time. Bye for now.